Hello, amazing veterinary people. Thank you for tuning in to Central Line. We have a special two-part episode this June in honor of Pride Month, featuring an incredible veterinarian named Kate Toyer. Kate was also featured in our Newstat article this March as one of our 15 women to watch in vet med, and the bio she sent in started out by saying, ever since she was little, Kate wanted to be two things, a veterinarian and a woman. And it's impossible to overstate the importance of her story, which she tells in her own voice here, in a time when trans people have never been more visible and when they're still in unspeakable danger just because of who they were born to be. I wanted to just let you know there is a little bit of an awkward lag time in places in this conversation. Hashtag Australia. <laughs> so it, it does get a little bit awkward in a couple of places where we talk over each other or there's a long pause. And that was just the connection. But Kate was just absolutely lovely. We talk about some heavy stuff here. And I wanted to also give a content warning. We do discuss suicide and violence. And Kate also wanted to offer a language warning as well. Uh, she Some of her language is Australian language, so it probably won't offend our sensitive American ears, but uh, this probably isn't one to listen to with kids in the car. But I do hope that it encourages you to talk to kids you love about how important it is to really listen to stories like Kate's. Kate's second episode will air later this month, and it's just a continuation of this conversation, because I honestly just didn't want to stop talking to her, and I didn't want to cut anything. She is vulnerable and emotional, and she has been through hell a few times, and she's become a powerful agent for change in vet med. So please enjoy this hour with Kate Toyer, and come back for more very soon. Hi, welcome back to Central Line. I'm your host, Katie Berlin, and our guest today is Kate Toyer, who is from a very far away, so it is a day later where you are. Is that right, Kate? That's exactly it. It's currently Wednesday oh. in Australia, so Wednesday morning, which is some, uh, I believe it's Tuesday afternoon back there, sort of for, for most of the It years. is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's crazy to me. Like, for some reason, I have the hardest time with time differences. I cannot fathom that you could be 18 hours ahead of us. Like, that just, that seems like science fiction and it's impossible. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm 40, 44 yeah, and I still have weird. not figured this out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is kind of weird, anyway, isn't it? And I, and I think it's sort of... Uh... Yeah, but I mean, I think it's just one of those sort of things. Like we kind of impose that, like as sort of like our structure of our structure of um, yeah in Western society where we structure this whole sort of thing around a week and sort of uh, and whatnot. And, and um, it's true. Uh, it's all but, made up. Hmm. <clears throat> well, yeah. rules schmules, <laughs> and that that's sort of gets to what we're going to be talking about today. Is like sometimes it's okay to think about things a little bit differently. And um, I, in fact, sometimes it's necessary. But before we get into that, uh, would you mind just giving us a little bit of a biography of yourself and how you came to be here? Sure, absolutely. So uh, Wallawani, everyone, which uh, is, Wallawani is the welcome greeting in the local language of the Walbundja people of Yuan Nation, um, uh, which is the local Aboriginal people and the land from where I come from, uh, which for, uh, is on the south coast of New South Wales. So it's about four hours south of Sydney. I think most people in the US have a rough idea of where Sydney is. Um, uh, so I am a clinical veterinarian. 
Uh, I have uh, co-owned a practice with my wife. I have co-owned that for over 20 years, which dates me. Yes, everyone, I did actually graduate last century. Um, uh, so that gives you a, <laughs> some sort of sense of my age. Um, uh, so uh, I guess I'm kind of fitting the, I'm fitting the profile, really, aren't I, for an American Animal <laughs> Hospital Association, this sort of experienced practice owner, <laughs> I'm all there. Uh, so um, I am also a trans woman. So, which I don't know sort of uh, how many of the listeners would sort of uh, use that language a lot. I feel like it's reasonably exposed nowadays, but it basically means that I was assigned female, uh, assigned male at birth, uh, and I transitioned uh, to female uh, around about 10 years ago now, um, actually, but sort of for certainly publicly about sort of seven Seven, seven or eight years ago, actually. Sorry, um, uh, publicly. But uh, there's a there's a bit of a story to that, which sort of uh, we might go into, if that's okay, Katie. In terms of uh, how I got there. Um, yeah. Yes. So. I definitely yeah. want to want to do that. Yeah. Um, well, let's start at the beginning. Um, when when I was a child, uh, and if any of you have read my bio on the things, and I, we write these bios, and I'm not sure how many people read them, but we'll go over it. When I was a child, you <laughs> you had the best bio that anybody has ever sent me for this podcast. Like I sent it to to our entire DVM team because I was like, you have to read this bio. Like she's the best. So. Um, Good bio. Just going to put cool. that out there. Also okay. good photos. <laughs> nice. Thank you. I did like the photos. Um, so. When, when I was a child, when I was growing up, I wanted to be two things. I wanted to be a veterinarian and I wanted to be a girl. Uh, so, and this is back in like sort of the 19, I was born in 1972. So this is back in like the 80s, sort of uh, as far as that goes. And you didn't see a lot of trans veterinarians out there. Um, there's not that many of us now that are that visible. Sort of, there certainly was bugger all back then. Oh, excuse the language to listeners. Slight trigger warning. Sort of, uh, I promised I would try and be careful about my language, and I'll do my best. Um, so, but I, so as I was growing up, uh, I was trying to understand who I was as a person, uh, which I think everyone does. And at around the age of, oh, I was probably, and look, and I'd had these feelings for some time and kept them to myself since I was like sort of quite young, about six or whatever, but around the age of sort of 13, 14 years old, um, I told my mum, who was a single mum, uh, and uh, I told my mum that I didn't really feel like a boy and I, I felt most comfortable when I was sort of, uh, and the term I used at that stage was pretending sort of, uh, to be a girl. So sort of, uh, so, um, getting dressed up and doing all that sort of type of thing. And <clears throat> my mum who passed away recently, sort of, uh, um, uh, and she was, I loved my mum dearly. Absolutely. She was a wonderful person. Uh, and we don't really have time to go into how wonderful she was, but, um, I loved her dearly, but she 
had no idea how to deal with this. This is this is pre-internet days. Sort of this is before this is before you even this is back when you actually used to look up in the file like the the actual card catalogue in the library, you'd actually look up sort of the, the books. <laughs> the Dewey Decimal the Dewey System. De- the Dewey Decimal <laughs> Bring back the Dewey Decimal System. Three oh one to three twenty three. That's what that was my jam for veterinary science. Um, so So we're Dewey Decimal old is what you're saying. <laughs> exactly. We're Dewey Decimal old. And I told my mum and she was kind of she was quite nice about it, but she was probably freaking out internally. Uh she sought the advice of my uncle, um, who was, uh, and, and her sister, um, uh, who was an Anglican minister at the time. Um, and, um, and they talked to me and they made it abundantly clear that this, who I felt I was, like sort of, uh, like sort of transitioning. And there was... There were like trans women around at that stage. Like you, you had sort of uh, this is, um, you know, we're, we're after sort of Carly or uh, sort of uh, Jorgen Cerner and um, and we're after Carlotta and sort of. Uh, but most of the most of the trans women were tended to be in either um, showgirls or like sort of they were that type of sort of area, sex work, that sort of type of thing, um, and. And my aunt and uncle made it abundantly clear that uh, that if I was to transition, if I was to become a woman, that I would be unlovable. <laughs> so, hmm. and sort of uh, warning again, listeners, um, trans people's journeys can be quite hard to sort of to talk about. So, occasionally, it gets emotional. When you're told that who you are is unlovable, that's a challenging space. That's a that's a really challenging space to actually be in. And I guess I and I love my mum dearly, sort of. Uh, and uh, I didn't want to be unlovable. Didn't I? Don't think no one wants to be unlovable. No one wants to be rejected by society. So I buried all of that. No. Um, I just I just shoveled it under the carpet and just sort of said, all right, okay, that's not achievable. I can't do that. I can be a veterinarian. So I put all of my energy into being a veterinarian. And I went to school and I studied. Uh, I went to sort of uh, a public school sort of uh, over here in Australia. Um, so like your, I think like your state schools, is it state schools in the US, like sort of that are just publicly mm-hmm. funded, like sort of uh, um, my mum was a single mum. They still cost uh, a lot. <laughs> still, they still cost a lot. Okay, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> sort of, um, so my mum, big advocate for free education. Don't get me started on that. We won't get to any of the trans story. <laughs> yeah, that's so, a second but, podcast. <laughs> it's another podcast entirely. Um, uh, free education for everyone. Um, uh, probably not going to go down well, but that's okay. Um, so uh, my mum was a single mum, but she absolutely doted on me. And um, uh, so I got through, I went through school. Uh, I got the 
sort of uh, achieved what I needed to do to get into university uh, to study veterinary science. Back then, uh, a Bachelor of Veterinary Science degree was an undergraduate degree uh, in Australia. Uh, so I studied a BVSC at Sydney University and graduated uh, from there. And I met my lovely wife, um, the gorgeous and adorable Tara Cashman, who unfortunately, listeners, you won't get to hear uh, and you won't get to see. Um, uh, unlucky, bad luck, sorry. But um, she is... <laughs> maybe <absolutely>, next time. <laughs> yeah, maybe next time. Because, uh, oh, like, honestly, she's sort of, uh, if you think mine, she's amazing. She's just amazing. But... Um, so we met, uh, I, I fell in love, like, you know, sort of, uh, I adored her and we got married and we did all of the things that you're supposed to do, like that society tells you you're supposed to do. Like we, we got jobs, um, uh, we sort of, uh, we started we bought property we started to sort of uh, you know build a house we had children uh and um uh somewhere in there i had bowel cancer um that was sort of uh that was not an enjoyable experience um, uh, oh my but, gosh uh, i don't even know about that part yeah yeah done my homework sorry um uh yeah no that's i don't sort of it's one of those things that doesn't come up everyone gets sort of really focused on the um no offense sorry everyone gets really focused on the trans stuff which is kind of cool uh i actually i had bowel cancer in 2003 uh, I was diagnosed. I've got uh, I've got a chronic liver disease called primary sclerosing cholangitis, uh, and that also has ulcerative colitis associated with it. And the ulcerative colitis uh, mm. predisposes you to bowel cancer. So I had a total colectomy when I was thirty three years old. I think it was um, uh, no 30, 31 years old, two thousand and three. Uh, so I had total colectomy. Um, uh, one of the things that sort of uh, made me a massive advocate for mandatory pain relief after any sort of abdominal sort mm. of laparotomy sort of surgery is like sort of uh, anyone out there who's had their guts opened up uh, and sort of sewn back up again, wow, that hurts. That really hurts a lot. Um, yeah, so, that's a so, perspective you won't forget. Yeah, definitely not. Despite sort of uh, the experience that sort of made me work out that I absolutely despise opiate drugs, um, uh, sort of because mm. I was on opiates for pain relief afterwards and I ended up with paranoia and oh, it was horrible. And it's sort of, but anyway, moving on, <laughs> moving on from that. Um, you so, keep opening up little doors that we could go down for like, oh, dude, like a, you know, an hour here, 30 minutes here. So I'm just keep making a note of the doors. Because, yeah, <laughs> we'll sort of uh, keep the, everyone's, everyone's life is a journey, isn't it? And there's like little pathways off on yeah. the side, like little diversions sort of thing. It's like, it's like those tourist yeah, routes. Yeah. There's like, there's the, there's the freeway and then there's the little tourist routes. And the tourist routes where you often learn the most, I the, think, about a person. The tourist route to bowel cancer is not one I probably would recommend. Yeah, totally <laughs> I not. Doubt you would Look, genuinely, nothing about my life do I recommend. One out of ten <laughs> would not recommend. One out of ten would not recommend, exactly. Um, yeah. uh, so, uh, mind you, gave me an incredible perspective on 
seizing life, I think, and sort of just living each day as mm. it comes. And it will come back, sort of. Yeah. For, uh, it will come back into into my story. So, um, so basically, yeah, we sort of continued build a practice, sort of fell into partnership with a with another vet, sort of build a practice up, and we kind of had this almost from the outside what looked like this perfect life it was like you know mum dad sort of three children we had the practice i'd sort of done what's called memberships over here which is kind of like a pseudo internship residency sort of thing we have a different uh, we have a slightly different pathway to specialization in australia uh compared to the u.s I'd done memberships in veterinary surgery. Uh, I won the college prize for, I did an education series, an online education series that year for, um, on arthritis, degenerative joint disease, um, for what was called at that stage, the Postgraduate Foundation or the Centre for Veterinary Education at Sydney University. Won the college prize for that. Everything was like, you know, perfect. My wife is a veterinarian as well. She also sort of uh, sat and passed memberships in veterinary dentistry. You know, and I was sort of on the surgery chapter committee of the college. It was all all looked amazing from the outside. On paper, you had it all. On paper, I had it all. Like sort of, it was like I had the lot, and, and sort of, you know, should have been, should have been. And look, and I, I want to say this: I was happy. Don't get me wrong; I was actually happy, mm-hmm. but. There was this sort of thing, and it was this thing was that I wasn't a guy, like I wasn't, uh, I wasn't male. So I told my wife in after, and this is when this is when the internet has starts to sort of really ramp up, doesn't it? Like two thousand, two thousand and five, like we're really starting to sort of uh, mm. internet starting to really ramp up. Um, you're getting things like Facebook groups, you're getting um, uh, uh, sort of uh, chat rooms and whatnot for people to sort of to explore and listen to each other and, and learn from each other's stories. And I did a little bit of sort of uh, investigating there, and I came sort of uh, said to my wife. I'm, I need to tell you something. I don't feel like I'm a guy. Like that's not who I am. And uh, and so we went on a bit of a journey then for a while. Uh, so I did do some exploration on who I thought I was, like gender-wise, uh, and explored lots of different concepts of gender, sort of uh, so... Um, uh, non-binary gender, gender queer, gender fluid. Sort of, there's lots of different sort of. Uh, there's lots of different genders sort of uh, out there. Uh, so, oh, sort of another warning, everyone. There's not just two genders. Bad luck. Sorry. Sort of, we've decreed it. The the trans Illuminati have decreed it. There's more than one, more than two genders. Um, so, I tried exploring all of them. Um, well, not all of them, but certainly a lot. After a while, probably about probably about one and a half, two years of sort of exploring that, it became very obvious that no, I was sort of binary female. Um, and that's that's my gender. 
sort of uh, and I know you had the wonderful Ewan Wolf on uh, yes. um, not that long ago uh, yeah. and they identify as non-binary um, and sort of uh, that was certainly an area I sort of tried to I explored and just didn't fit for me sort of uh, and sort of uh, and that's that's just that's cool like sort of uh, sometimes uh, sometimes these things fit for some people and not for others uh, as I said there's more than two genders um, but mine is binary female so we started the process of doing all of the things to actually make who I knew I was inside to make that obvious so everyone else sort of understood who that was. Uh, and <laughs> that's for me, uh, and I, I, want, I would like to say that everyone's journey is different and everyone's needs are different uh, and sort of uh, regardless of your sort of gender and how you identify. Uh, but for me, that did mean pursuing medical uh, therapies. Um, uh, it did mean um, uh, sort of uh, basically, I'm I'm kind of like I'm I'm a bit of a girly girl. Like oh, I love spinny dresses. I, I love skirts. I, I love like sort of my wife. Like my wife. My wife's female, like she's binary female as well. She basically she loves jeans. She loves her jeans and a tee, like sort of, uh, you know, and, uh, and sort of stuff like that. And there's times when I do wear jeans and a tee, but sort of, uh, but also I love my skirt. So I love my, um, I love my dresses. Uh, and um, so, and uh, sorry, I've sort of uh, got a, um, we've been joined by a little friend. Sorry, oh, um, this is Cooper. Um, the walk is over. <laughs> the walk is over. Yes, the dog walk is over. Yeah. So welcome to the noise. Um, and uh, yeah, and so they started doing quite a lot of different things. So there's a lot of stuff like because I transitioned fairly late. Like I was 40, 41 or forty two when I started um, HRT therapies, uh, and mm -hmm. other things. So there was a lot of other stuff like, um, uh, laser hair removal, particularly on the face, um, and sort of, uh, uh, and all sorts of other things there. Uh, and eventually I changed my name legally, uh, and, um, and we sent a notification out to our clients and said, okay, from this point, um, Adam, who I was known as then, will be known as Kate and sort of uh, they transitioned and yeah, and that was seven, seven years ago. Yeah. And it was all smooth sailing, right? No, no Ooh. problems. <laughs> Just so easy. No bumps <laughs> in the road <laughs> along the way. Oh, so, so, no in the right. Yes, I think so. I, I read an article. Uh, <laughs> I read an article on okay. you um, recently where uh, I think it was an, uh, from Australia and um, it had sort of indicated that things weren't really that hard for you. I mean, it was a fine article, you know, um, it was a it was a good piece, but it 
it kind of glossed over, I think, probably what it was really like to to tell yeah. your clients because you're in a small town, right? Like you're not yeah, in yeah, a big city. Yeah. yeah you're so, in a country town. Like what was yeah. that like? What did people, how did people react? Yeah. So look, um, we're in a sort of the, the town we're in as a resident population of around about 14 to 15,000 people. Um, so it's fairly small, um, uh, sort of, uh, it's not mm-hmm. super small, but it's but it's relatively small. It's small enough that you go down the local supermarket and you know sort of three or four people in there and sort of uh, you know because you've been treating their animals, um, uh, you know. Right. There's only hopefully of, you can remember a, their names. <laughs> oh no, never! Oh gosh, I'm so bad. Um, uh, I can remember their dogs' names, <laughs> Me too. their pets' names, but sort of mm-hmm, um, same. But never their names. Yeah. Um, so. And look, and we were sort of, uh, you know, like I said, we're kind of the poster child, like sort of the poster child family, like sort of uh, mum, dad, the three kids, sort of we had the local biz, veterinary business. Um, uh, vets at this stage are still, you know, and they still are realistically. They're still sort of regarded as kind of pillars of society, like you're sort of, uh, you're there and um, uh, everyone wants to be a veterinarian, don't they? Sort of, uh, you know, um, uh, everyone would be coming in and like, oh, my sort of uh, my son Johnny wants to be a vet when they grow up, or my daughter sort of uh, Sally, um, uh, you know, uh, and and so telling telling my clients, yeah, like that was a it was a sort of. Um, Certainly embraced myself for that, like sort of uh, we braced ourselves for that. What we did do, I guess, and I'd probably say, I would say a couple of things. I I think sort of certainly I have an enormous amount of privilege, a huge amount of privilege, realistically. I'm white, uh, okay, sort of uh, um, I was – I've got a stable family life, uh, sort of a partner who really loves me. I've got stable housing. Um, uh, I've got, um, uh, you know, I'm well-educated and sort of, and I was reasonably well-off socioeconomically. So I had a mountain of privilege sitting behind me to be able to do this. But there was still very much the the question of, uh, okay, will this all just completely and utterly blow up in our face? Sort of uh, what are people going to say? Um, uh, and sort of uh, what are they going to do? Because it's a, um, uh, it's a, it's not something I was probably the first person locally to make it really, really obvious and really clear that I sort of, uh, that I was transitioning. Uh, and, um, so yeah, we were, when I, when I came out, this was, uh, so when we went, uh, public, uh, it was uh, around 2015 and the, this is only like a year after, I think it was 2014, Laverne Cox was on the, um, was on the cover of Time magazine. It's like the the, the legendary transgender tipping point sort of uh, cover, um, uh, and uh, and the environment was quite different, sort of uh, 
back then. And if the listeners haven't seen, uh, there's, a, there's a documentary called Disclosure. Uh, that is narrated by Laverne Cox. Um, it's, it's actually written and sort of recorded by by a whole trans and gender diverse team. But it looks at the depiction of trans people through media, sort of, uh, and movies and whatnot. And it, it's it's really quite. It's it's disconcerting. It's quite. Uh, it's heartbreaking and 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 it's disturbing in terms of it really, really sort of focuses down on the fact that over the years, trans people have basically been, the depiction of trans people in the public eye has been as jokes. We've, we've been the, the butts of a joke or we've been some sort of evil, weird freak, like out of Silence of the Lambs or something. And and this is sort of, this is what people knew about, this is what they were exposed to about trans people. They, they weren't exposed to someone they knew, sort of fair transitioning, just sort of just your average everyday trans person, sort of uh, just doing their life, which we've been doing for centuries, like genuine centuries. <laughs> it's sort of, uh, um, and a lot of people don't quite realise, like modern phenomenon. It's like, no, it's not a modern phenomenon. It's just because, frankly, Half of the records from the Berliner Institute were burned during the sort of uh, during the nineteen thirty three um, uh, Kristallnacht riots and, and sort of uh, and that sort of type of thing. So the we sent that email out. We sent an email out to all of our clients and told them what was happening. and And I have to say, the response overwhelmingly was incredibly supportive. It really was super supportive. The, People, and I think this is really important for the veterinary profession as well. The veterinary profession generally, we want to be inclusive. Like we really do want to be inclusive. Uh, we want to welcome people. Um, uh, and overall, we're actually kind of a really nice bunch of people. What we don't do well is, yeah, exactly. Um what we don't do well is that we don't know how. Sometimes we just don't know how. We don't know we don't know where to go to hear the stories. We don't know where to go to um, to find the information out that we need to know. We don't know what voices to actually listen to to be able to actually uh, to be inclusive. And so so we get sort of uh, we get a little bit afraid and we sort of uh, and sometimes I, I think we either through either through a lack of understanding or, or through fear we just kind of shut down uh and close off but um but yeah so that kind of went well but I think the sort of the the challenge is is that as inclusive as an individual might be and as welcoming as an individual might be Society itself is still horrifyingly challenging for anyone from any minority, sort of regardless of what that minority is. But be you um, uh, black, Asian, sort of uh, have a disability, whether you're trans, uh, LGBTIQA, sort of uh, neurodiverse, it's sort of uh, regardless of what that minority is. Society is not 
that welcoming. Like it's sort of uh, it's it's really really tough, and and sort of uh, I think is the we sort of talked a little bit in the um, in the, in our prep stuff about that series of tweets that I wrote, where I was. Um, I was being incredibly yes. sass, I think, at the time. I, I think I was, I was obviously, <laughs> um, I was fairly annoyed with something. I was yeah, sort of, I mean, uh, this AHA podcast is brought to you by Care Credit. Care Credit understands that all veterinary teams are busier than ever. To help patients get the care they need, the Care Credit Health and Pet Care Credit Card allows clients to access a budget-friendly financing experience anytime from anywhere on their own smart device. They can learn, see if they pre-qualify, apply, and even pay if approved, all on that smart device. With just a tap, they have a friendly, contactless way to pay over time for the services and treatments their pet needs, whether it be a general, referring, or specialty hospital, as long as they accept the Care Credit credit card. This was a series of tweets, just for context, um, for people listening, like, this was a series of tweets that went out, I think you put it out last summer mm -hmm. in 2022, and it was just crushing to read. Um, it was, you, you would say, like, how to be a successful trans woman, you know, part one. And it, it really, like, showed very concisely that the reality for you was, is something that was probably pretty unimaginable for most people. Yeah. Sorry, I, yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt, but I wanted to give a little no, context no, there because totally. that was one of my first like pieces of information about you. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like this is a lot like this person has had a lot in her yeah. life to deal with. And I, and I think that I didn't even it, know about I... the bowel cancer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Um, I think that's it. Uh, and it was sort of uh, and and that's kind of me, like sort of, uh, you know, like it's it's challenging enough for me. Like, uh, and I'm, as I said, like, I, I really, like, I've got a lot of privileges. I've got a lot of stuff going for me. Um, uh, you know, I've got passing privilege, like, sort of, if I don't really want to be exposed as trans, then I don't kind of have to. Um, uh, so, mm -hmm. you know, sort of, uh, I'm white, like, sort of trans women of colour, like, it's, it's genuinely heartbreaking, sort of, uh, the, the, attitudes and the statistics around the abuse uh that society sort of handles hands out to uh to trans women of color in particular um it's mm -hmm. sort of it, it, it like it, it's it's the sort of thing that I, I do find incredibly challenging to talk about because it's just so horrendous i, I mean the the rate of um, violence against trans women, uh, and particularly trans women of colour, um, is insanely large. Like, it's just ridiculously large. Um, uh, sort of, uh, and to the point where it, it's some phenomenal number, like sort of uh, 60 or 70% of uh, trans women of colour have been sexually assaulted. And sort of, these are numbers that are just, Bonkers, absolutely bonkers. Yeah. Um, uh, not to mention, you know, sort of uh, last year there were 20, 28 trans women of 
trans women who were trans or gender diverse um, uh, um, people, most of them, most of them uh, female identifying, uh, were murdered in, in sort of uh, just in the US. That doesn't include sort of the rest of the world. Um, and so like that's two a month. That's every two weeks. You're just like, what the hell? Like that's bonkers. Um, so yeah, inconceivable numbers. It's it's just inconceivable and. And it really comes down to, and that, that's just the, that's, that's the, that's the hate that's thrown at you by society, sort of, uh, and, and that's just the, that's the direct violence, you know, and, and I've been abused in the street and whatever, and I'm just like, I'm 50, like, I'm 50, I've got money, I've got sort of, uh, I've got social standing, I've got sort of, uh, I've got very good friends and an extraordinarily supportive family. It's sort of, uh, someone throws hate at me in the street, it's like, get a life. Like, genuinely, just get a life. I, I'm sort of, uh, but that sort of, that's, uh, when you're, 12 or 14 and you're a child and I sort of felt go back to sort of how I felt and, and like and there's a whole society is telling you that you're wrong somehow or unlovable or that you're sort of uh, you know who you say you are you you just you're either lying or sort of or making it up um it's an intense that's that's a really intense thing and you're 12 and 12 or 14 years old you don't know how to emotionally deal with that what do you do with that um uh, sort of uh, yeah i mean most 12 year olds are 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 worried about like what what to do with their hair or like do they have the same type of genes as everyone else like 12 year olds everything is a huge deal and most of it doesn't matter at all and to be questioning you know who you who everyone thinks you are versus who you feel you are and have people tell you that that's not right. I cannot imagine what that must have been like um, or what that yeah. must be like for kids. I just cannot imagine that. And, and I think this is sort of, uh, and, and this touches a little bit on some stuff that we did brought up, bring up in the, in our pre-stuff as well. But I think it's so vital to understand it. It's just like, you know, when you tell that child that they're that they're unlovable, or or you say to them, "No, you can't play sport with your mates in the sort of uh, you can't go and play sport mm-hmm. with your friends, sort of uh, in, in sort of uh, in the girls' team, sort of uh, or the boys' team, um, uh, sort of." Uh, and um, when you say that to to someone who's 13 or 14 it's like no 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 you're not allowed to play with us sort of it's like what the hell it's right astoundingly there's a there's a level of me that just can't understand that because it's just like sort of there's there's no way you would ever if your child came home sort of for, for listeners who have children if your child came home and told you that sort of uh, that the the schools um, uh, and your child is cis, sort of cisgendered. Uh, say your child's a cisgendered girl. If your child came home and, and sort of uh, and and told you that sort of uh, basically 
all of the kids on the schools, um, uh, or the school said that they can't play on the the girls' softball team. Sort of uh, is softball a thing over in over in America? Probably. I'm sort of uh, or the girls' hockey team. Let's call yes. it the girls' hockey team. Um, you, your child can't play on the girls' hockey team because she's got red hair. You know, you'd be like, you'd be there, like you'd be there with the pickaxes at the principal's door. Genuinely, <laughs> you'd sort of. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing yeah. would be able to stop you as a parent. Um, so, the idea that sort of, uh, sort of saying, you know, this, um, we're not going to let you play because you're trans. It's sort of like what. The, the kid's 12 or 14 for crying out loud. Like, sort of just let them play. Uh, and so I think that's really, really, that's a space I find really challenging. That, that That's a sort of a space I find very challenging to be nice about the people who wish to try and institute those types of rules um, because I think those rules are frankly cruel. Uh, It's sort of, uh, that sounds really, that sounds brutal and and horrible to actually say about someone, but I I do sort of, uh, I I think those rules are cruel. Uh, And I I think that, you know, sort of uh, the, when you understand 86% 86% of trans people um, uh, sort of, uh, and trans youth have considered, have had thoughts of suicide. Uh, sorry, I should have given a trigger warning about discussions about suicide. Um, uh, but sort of, uh, I will have one on the episode. Cool. <clears throat> um, 86% of, uh, of uh, trans people, and the number's probably actually slightly higher in youth, but 86% percent of trans people have considered suicide. Forty percent of trans youth have actually attempted suicide. That is just a that, that is a bonkers Again, number. It's like it, it's like it's made up numbers. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it yeah. can be true and yet it is true. And in the veterinary profession we we focus a lot on these numbers, right? Because there are so many. There's so much data now about the suicide rate and the the rate, the number of veterinary professionals who have considered suicide, that those numbers seem too big. And that's like two and a half percent, you know, or something yeah. versus forty yeah. percent. And it, yeah. I just can't. It can't get my mind around it. It's just staggering. It, it's and it's. It's so incredibly large that it is sometimes hard to actually get your head around. But I think the really important takeaway is that those numbers, those those sort of uh, those numbers of attempted suicide or, or thoughts of suicide, they drop to basically the same as a cisgendered child when that trans child is actually accepted by their family and by their community. So we know this, like we actually know this stuff. When that trans child can actually participate in 
in society, when that trans child can play sport, when that trans child can actually access the care that they need, when that trans child can actually talk to professionals and actually talk about sort of who they are um, uh, and how they feel as, a, as an individual, um, uh, when that trans child can access sort of uh, when when necessary, and I'm not saying that we sort of, uh, and please, we Get away from sort of some of the nonsense of uh, we need to make sure that we're very clear. We're not talking about children taking bloody hormones at sort of uh, at eight years old. That's just bollocks and sort of uh, and nonsense. That's um, dis- it is misinformation. It is absolute misinformation. Um, but. You know, when you are 14, 15, 16, and you know you're trans, like sort of, uh, like I said, like I knew I was trans at 14. I was just like, sort of like I was told I would be unlovable, so I just suppressed the crap out of it. Um, and there goes the swear warning again. Um, but, um, yeah, like sort of when those children get that care, sort of uh, then we know that their rates of suicide attempt and rates of suicidal thoughts and depression and anxiety basically drop back to that sort of uh, that of their peers of their cisgender peers so why why aren't we doing this like this this is just phenomenally bizarre to me that we can genuinely say no we're actually sort of uh, we want to protect children by actually sort of by stopping them from accessing the care that they need. It's, yeah. it, it makes no it, sense. It makes no sense. Yeah. It absolutely makes it's no sense. It's not going to make what, they, what people see as a problem go away. Um, it's only yeah. going to contribute to the, you know, negatively to the, the life and well being of that child and that family. And I, that reminds me of what you and Wolf had talked about, you know, where they had to leave Florida because yeah. of concerns for their safety and their child's safety. And that that's insane. Like, this is the U.S. How is that possible? You should have it, to flee your home because you're worried about the safety of your child. Like, that I, I, is unbelievable, I, I think and it. yet it's the truth. I think sort of uh, it, it is the truth. And sort of, uh, and again, I've been incredibly lucky. I sort of, uh, I own my own practice. So I set the rules. Like, it was just like, if clients, and we had a few clients weren't particularly happy about me transitioning. A few clients tried to keep sort of, uh, basically would use, would you continuously use my old name and sort of, uh, and stuff like that and try and make out. I was just like, nah, go, go somewhere else. Sort of, I just, I don't need you. I really don't need you. Um, but also, I co-own the practice with my wife. I'm sort of, uh, and obviously my wife supports me. Um, so, um, so it's just like sort of, uh, and all of all of our staff support us. I, I'm sure that there's, like, I've sacked two clients directly, three clients directly, sort of for for basically for transphobic behaviour. I'm reasonably certain that there is a multiples of that that my staff have actually not let come through the door. <laughs> yeah. Because which is kind of beautiful, right? Mm. I I love which is incredible. I love that your staff supports you. It's incredible. Is, I love that yeah. picture of them like surrounding you like with their shields yeah. up, you know, and being like 
you will not get close to her. Yeah. And it's, it's so true and it's, it's so vital. And, and, and I think such an important message for, um, for your listeners out there is that, you know, we sort of, uh, and I, and I know you've mentioned in the past that some people have sort of uh, have gone, ah, oh, we're sort of, uh, you know, what's this stuff really got to do? And I, and I get that as well. What's this stuff got to do with veterinary practice? Like sort of uh, what's it got to do with the veterinary practice yeah. management and sort of, uh, um, uh, you know, is it really sort of, is it really relevant? Like sort of, uh, you know, shouldn't we just be talking about sort of the seeing animals and sort of uh, um, and whatnot? But I think the sort of the, if you really want to be an ally, if you genuinely think that this stuff that I've talked about, like the, the, if you think that it's wrong and it's cruel for a child to think they're unloved um, or unlovable by society, if you think it's wrong that someone has to, you know, sort of uh, wait for you know, ridiculously or insane amount of time or even move states just to actually get the medical care that they need in order to actually be, um, address the sort of, uh, their, um, their emotional and physical health. And believe me, it is a physical health thing. I am physically far healthier now than I was before transition. Um, so if you truly believe that that is not, sort of, you know, that sort of, uh, if you're an ally and, and you feel that those are the, um, uh, that there should actually be things that should be, uh, that trans children should be loved, that, uh, that trans people should be on access care. What the, what you can do is actually, yeah, protect them. <laughs> like sort of just, just, yeah, make, form that shield and sort of, uh, you know, and it, yeah. it doesn't have to be a white knight thing, but sort of, uh, but sometimes it just, it does get tiring sometimes. It really gets tiring. We're getting quite emotional mm-hmm. on this and I'm talking very fast. So my apologies for that because I do talk faster when I get emotional. I'm sorry. Um, but it's perfect. Uh, um, we sort of, uh, it doesn't have to be a white knight thing. You don't have to go out with sort of with a sword and sort of and smite them all down. But what you do have to do is actually be there ready to shield them. Um, mm-hmm. Ready to ready to ditch the client that's that's the that's gonna that's gonna basically call the trans employee a freak or or use their incorrect name or sort of or constantly mispronoun them sort of uh, you know and, I, and I'm not talking about one off episodes like I'm a, talking about constant stuff like I'm like talking a about directed way. yeah that sort of that real passive aggressive sort of stuff um uh, and be willing to make the sacrifice as a uh, as a business owner, as a veterinary practice owner, which is sort of, uh, I should be the listeners of this podcast, sort of uh, the American Animal Hospital Association mm-hmm. podcast, um, uh, sort of uh, as a practice owner, be willing to say, you know what, no, I don't want you in this, I don't want you here. And yeah, you might lose out, maybe you lose out a bit of money, sort of maybe that client was a sort of, uh, you know, maybe they were a good client, sort of financially, sort of thing. I'll give you the tip. It's absolutely nothing 
on the... I'm trying to think of a word that's not shit. <laughs> on the stuff. That, um... <laughs> just don't. <laughs> don't, yeah. don't. Don't bother. Yeah. Don't bother. <laughs> there's a, sometimes there's just one word for something. There's yeah. just one word. It's exactly. It but, is uh, absolutely but, nothing. Know, I, yeah. Go, go, sorry, I'm Katie. thinking about... I'm thinking about all the times and I'm just, you know, I'm going to say this as somebody who was never the boss, right? I was never a practice owner. I was always an associate or, you know, an assistant, or I was a receptionist when I started. And the number of times that clients didn't treat me well and, or questioned me in a way that showed that they doubted who I was and not just a decision that I made. Um, and, that I didn't feel like I had that backing. And I am, mm. you know, if you had a mountain of privilege behind you, I am awash in privilege, you know? Like, I I have all the privilege. Yeah. It should be so easy, you know? And yet, I still yeah. felt sometimes like, I, like they didn't have my back. And we're talking now about problems with retention and attrition, people leaving clinics, everybody's working short staffed. I don't know if it's like that in Australia, but it is definitely like that yeah, at every yeah, practice here. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Yep. if I were looking for a job right now, I wouldn't just want a place where they practice good medicine and they knew, you know, the, they read the diabetes guidelines and they knew how to use a new diabetes drug and they had a surgical laser. I would want a practice where I knew that if somebody treated me badly, that everybody in that clinic would have my back. And whether I am me or you or somebody completely who looks and, and has had a completely life different life experience, I would want to know that we had each other. And that without that, it is impossible to be your best self at work. Yeah. And that's what I just don't understand is how people don't see that connection that like, if we don't feel accepted for who we are, regardless of what that means, it is impossible to come to work and have your best day and give your best self. And I just, yeah. you know, yes, you're the owner, but your staff, you know, your staff could make their own choices. And yeah. the fact that they not only accepted who you are, but also stood by you in that way. Like, I just think that's so beautiful. And I feel like that's a lesson that we all need to learn when it comes to our teams and, and our, the sanctity of our work is that that work needs to be a safe space, not just a, a space that practices good medicine. Completely. Uh, I totally agree with you, Katie. And, and I think that it's, I don't think, I, I build safe spaces. Like it's kind of my talent. It's like my sort of, uh, it's like my superpower. It's a good power. talent. Um, sort of, it's, <laughs> it's a good talent, yeah. Um, it, it is my, it is my thing. I'm good at building safe spaces. Uh, and I think what we have built at our clinic is we have built a safe space for everyone. Um, uh, so that, um, you know, you, you sort of, you're absolutely correct about the retention and all that sort of type of thing. All of those things we have over here in Australia. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we've got sort of, uh, we've got a staff of six um, uh, and over the last 20 years we've had, we've had 10 employees. Um, uh, 
eight of we, eight of whom ended up having long service leave with us. Um, uh, now, four of those employees have left and moved on for other reasons and sort of stuff like that. And stuff happens. Like so sometimes, uh, sometimes something mm -hmm. doesn't gel. Like sort of, uh, you know. And sometimes we make mistakes. Sometimes yeah. I make mistakes. Um, uh, you know, God knows um, uh, some of the stuff I've done over the years. But um, I think when you create that safe space, it's sort of fed. I see so many veterinary practice owners getting, um, you know, their challenges and their and their troubles are wrapped up so much in HR stuff uh, and so much in, in sort of in culture and whatever, um, and and I think creating that culture of an inclusive and safe space um, uh, is so vital, and you can't do that by just being just worrying about the animals because you can't come to work and just not talk about what sort of a one-dimensional world would our veterinary practices be if we only came to work and we never talked about our lives outside we never talked about our children we never talked about the the restaurant we went to with our sort of wife husband slash whoever sort of uh, on the weekend that had the most amazing food you know we didn't talk about the sort of uh, you know oh only doris is staying with us oh my goodness she can talk when she gets a wine into her um that's sort of uh, you, you know all those sorts of things like they're a part of our life and and sort of uh, and we do and we bring those to work even when we say we don't we do like sort of uh, you know it's the it's the classic sort of uh, unfortunately I'm sorry this is the classic sort of privileged um, uh, white person sort of particularly privileged white practice owner sort of thing it's like oh just leave the leave the home life at the door and sort of uh, you know and sort of just bring <laughs> do, bring do the work and it's just like and then they yeah then they prattle on about their. I don't know, their sort of Porsche that they just bought or something. I don't know. But sort of, I'm sorry, <laughs> practice owners, I'm being no very comment. stereotypical. <laughs> sort of, um, um, but we sort of, so we do that, like sort of, uh, even though we don't think we do, we do. And to say that sort of yeah. uh, that, you know, we should just leave these issues of be that be that race, be that gender, be that disability, be that sort of uh, whatever it is, um, uh, that to say that it's got no bearing on how we do our work and sort of uh, and our capability to actually do do our best work and sort of uh, look after those animals and care for the animals owners because we're caring for pets, but we're also caring for the owners. Sort of, uh, I, I think this is sort of uh, really. Um, uh, I think you've touched on this with a few sort of podcasts in the in the past on this in this series of. Um, uh, this isn't just an animal sort of centered profession. We're actually a people profession yeah. sort of, uh, um, yeah. uh, sort of, uh, we're probably one of the most holistic professions that's out there. Like we sort of, uh, we care about animals and people. Yeah. Um, and that's amazing. And, um, and that specific animal person combo is special, you know, no combination yeah. of person and animal is the same. So we have to understand exactly. that too. I love that about it. That's exactly it. So, um, 
you know, and that's the thing that sort of that brought us to veterinary science was if, because if that wasn't what brought mm-hmm. us to veterinary science, we'd be bankers or something. Like honestly, we could make money a lot yeah. easier or let's sort of elsewhere. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So to to True. sort of say that you can't sort of talking about these things isn't really relevant to veterinary practice is is kind of wearing a fairly sort of uh, fairly narrow set of blinkers in in, in my view and, and I think it's it's vital and you, and you can't I don't think you can expect a trans employee to come to work uh, and just go you know I don't want to hear about that other stuff and then sort of uh, and then out sort of uh, as soon as they leave you know leave the workspace and sort of uh, they've then got to go out and, you know, to an extent just fight to actually exist, um, uh, you know, uh, and um, and as happened with uh, with Ewan and then for a number of trans people across, you know, across the... Um, uh, across the US uh, and sort of uh, and some of these sentiments are spreading around the world as well is that just mm-hmm. accessing sort of uh, simple things like just being able to participate in society just being able to actually go go out with your mates and go go down to the local park on a weekend and sort of uh, and play sport with some friends like something that most of us would take for granted for a trans person is like a minefield uh, of yeah. of um, uh, of challenges that they've got to that they've got to interact with and, uh, and address and overcome. Sorry, overcome was the word I was after. That is a minefield of challenges that they've got to overcome just to actually play sport, like to to have a bit of fun on a Saturday afternoon. Um, you know, and I'm not talking about I'm not talking about Olympics here or whatever. And there's sort of there's other people who can talk much better about sort of trans people in sort of uh, in elite sport, where um, uh, quite frankly that's massively overblown as well. But sort of uh, you know, sort of go and look up ACLU and sort of uh, um, uh, they've got some great info on that uh, and whatever. I'm just talking about some basic sort of being able to just go and socialise with your mates and, and not actually be worried that, you know, to an extent you're going to be arrested. I've been sort of, uh, you know, and charged with a criminal offence, um, uh, which yeah. is yeah, really bizarre. And we got political, even though we weren't supposed to get political. We got political. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm not that I sorry mean, at all. I still think... I- <laughs> Yeah, don't be sorry because because that's the whole point, right? Is like this isn't a political podcast, and to me, these are not political issues. They're made political exactly. because of the way certain political parties tend to address them and the differences therein. But there shouldn't be anything political about allowing people to be who they are when who they are is not hurting anyone and is 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 just it's just them. Like you said, it's no different than your kid having red hair and being excluded from a soccer team because of red hair. That is who that child is. And I don't think anything about this is political. And that's why I want, uh, that's why I wanted you to tell your story because it's not about politics. It's about people. You are a person. Like this is about human rights. And about yeah. the fact that it, if you're standing exactly in it. a vet clinic, the person, 
the person across the table from you could be trans, could be non-binary, could have somebody at home who is struggling with this. They could be going home to a situation that just like the tweets that you put out last year, you know, it could they could be going home to a situation that is unfathomable for most of us. And I can't, as somebody who's had an occasional blip where home life is not comfortable for me, I can't imagine the amount of stress that that has put on me just with a little bit of discomfort that I've had in my home life sometimes. I cannot imagine the effects of that accumulated stress over time on somebody's physical and mental well-being. And as we know, we talk so much about well-being in this profession now because, thank, thankfully, because we know that well-being has a tremendous effect on how we do our jobs. It's yeah. all connected. And you don't know what somebody is going through when they're not talking to you about it directly. And, that, yeah. and so to me, this is, this is just a question of humanity. And that concludes part one of this podcast. Please stay tuned to Central Line next week for part two. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Central Line, the AHA podcast. If you love what you hear, please take a moment to leave us a rating and review. For more resources to help you simplify your journey towards excellence in veterinary medicine, we invite you to visit aha.org. That's A-A-H-A dot O-R-G.